the Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to John. Jesus said to his disciples, I still have many things to say to you, but they would be too much for you now. But when the Spirit of Truth comes, he will lead you to the complete truth, since he will not be speaking as from himself, but will say only what he has learned. And he will tell you of the things to come. He will glorify me, since all he tells you will be taken from what is mine. Everything the Father has is mine. That is why I said, all he tells you will be taken from what is mine. The Gospel of the Lord. Today the Church celebrates the Feast of the Most Holy and Glorious Trinity. One of the fundamental doctrines of Christianity. In fact, if one does not believe in the Trinity, one cannot be a Christian. The very definition of a Christian is one who believes in the Trinity because it is from this mystery all the others flow. When we talk about the mysteries of God, it is not in the sense of something that cannot be known, but rather it is a truth that is slowly being revealed to us, yet because we are creatures and therefore finite, we cannot grasp the full depth of the mystery. We cannot understand the truth, the full truth. And if we think about it, when we were children, how did we learn? We didn't learn everything all at once. But we were given truths bit by bit. We were told the, of the realities that exist in small amounts. And it was on this that we built the foundation of our knowledge. And so when we look at children, they us their books usually have very large print. The words are simple. There are pictures to assist them in understanding the story. And that's where the mystery is. The mystery is in the story. And as we understand the story, we penetrate into the mystery. And even the story has various levels. Our Lord himself used that very method to teach when he spoke the parables. We could grasp the story immediately, but then as we break it open, we see that there are other truths underlying it. 
And so the mystery of the Trinity is this, essentially, it is the revelation of God's inner life. Now, we can, from human knowledge, natural knowledge, natural ability, know God exists. Every society, every culture believes in God. The problem is that there is not a perfect understanding of what God is or who God is. And so, in some cultures, the Greeks, the Romans, Norse, and so on, they believe not in one God, but in many gods. Because, again, we start from where we are, human experience. And it is recognized that the solitary life cannot be a happy life for most people. To be absolutely alone, St. Jerome tells us, belongs either to the beast or to the angel. We live in community, in association with others, in relationship with others. And so the pagan um, cultures, for the most part, could not conceive of a solitary god. And so they imagined there were other gods with whom the creator god interacted. Then God decided to reveal himself. And he did so to Abraham and more clearly to Moses and eventually perfectly in Christ Jesus. What did God reveal to Abraham? Well, that he was one God, that he would make himself the God of Abraham and his descendants. He would transmit to Abraham the truths, divine truths, which he eventually did up to a point in the revelation through Moses. To Moses, God revealed his name, Yahweh, meaning, I am who I am, or I am being, I am existence itself. But even as he revealed this, he also revealed to Moses that he wasn't solitary. Although he was the only God, he was not solitary. Yet this was but a shadow. It could not fully be grasped. When, in the fullness of time, Christ Jesus, our Lord, began his ministry, he began to reveal that he was, he is, the Son of God. Initially, there wasn't a problem because we are all children of God. Some of the prophets were called sons of God. The angels also were called sons of God. But when he began to speak of God as his father in a literal sense, the Jews recognized what he was saying. Nothing less than I am God. And they began to persecute him. On one occasion, when he, in the, in the temple, when he healed a man, 
the Jews picked up stones to stone him. He said, for what good deed are you stoning me? Because you're only a man, yet you claim to be God. They understood perfectly what he was saying. In the case of the man born blind, he, our Lord had said previous to that, before Abraham ever was, I am declaring himself to be God. I am existence itself. And he went out and saw the man who was born blind. He took the mud, he spat on the ground, took the mud, put it on the man's face, on his eyes, and said, go and wash. And the man did. Came back seeing. What was our Lord telling us? That was a mystery. We can see the story. He, the Lord spat on the ground. He put mud on the man's face, told him to go and wash. A simple story. But what was our Lord doing? He was teaching us part of the mystery of his existence, of who he was. Because when the man himself is questioned, the man will say, I don't know whether he, Jesus, is a sinner. All I know was, I was blind, and now I see. We know God doesn't listen to sinners. If this man, man were a sinner, he could do nothing. The, blind, the man who was born blind said, Never since the world began has it ever been heard that anyone has given sight to a man born blind. Our Lord was showing when he spat on the ground and made the pace that he was the creator from the beginning. As God took the slime of the earth and formed the body of Adam and breathed in his nostrils and Adam became a living being, so this man who had been born blind had been created without eyes. And our Lord spitting on the ground like the breath that came out into the nostrils of Adam, spitting on the ground, made the pace and created eyes for him so that he might see. So our Lord was proclaiming his divinity. St. John in his gospel says, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and therefore there are two. And then the word was God. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. So we have these two persons. What is a Word? Word is a concept that the mind generates. But it's a concept. It's an idea. It's a thought generated by the mind. Begotten by the mind. Begotten? Exactly that. Begotten. Whatever is begotten by the mind, we can call our offspring, our child. And so when a painter has an idea and puts it on a canvas, that is his offspring, an expression of his mind. It is what is in his mind, yet it is distinct from him. When a musician composes music, likewise. When the poet writes a poem, it is the expression of his mind. And for that reason, we can see the signature of the author 
in their works. And likewise for God, we can see the signature of his being in what he has created. So all things were created through his word. At the fullness of time, the word became man and dwelt among us. And so we can say, God became man. We can say that God died on the cross for us because the man who was born and the man who died was God. But there's also more to this. At the baptism of our Lord, as he came out of the water, we're told a dove descended and settled on him. A voice was heard from heaven, this is my son, the beloved. The beloved son is an expression meaning only one. God had said that to Abraham, take your son, your beloved son, your only son, and offer him as a sacrifice to me, the only one. At the transfiguration, likewise, a cloud comes and the voice of the Father is heard. This is my son, the beloved. Listen to him. And so we have the third person of the Blessed Trinity being revealed to us at the very beginning of our Lord's love. Even before the baptism. What about the incarnation? The Holy Spirit, the angel said to the Virgin, will come upon you. The power of the Most High will cover you with its shadow. That which is conceived in you will be holy and will be called Son of God. So even here we have the declaration, the revelation of the Blessed Trinity. We have it then at the Incarnation, we have it at the Baptism, we have it at the Transfiguration. As our Lord, as we heard in the Gospel, goes down to the Kidron Valley. He speaks to the disciples who are not in the mode of receiving teaching. And so he promises them the Holy Spirit, the Paraclete, the Spirit of Truth. And he will lead you to the complete truth. And so as the Father sent the Son, and do not think of it as locomotion. When the Father sends, it means that the Son of God, the second person of the Blessed Trinity, took on a new way of existing. He begins to exist as man. That is what sending means. The Lord said when he goes, when he returns to the Father, he will send the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Father will send the Holy Spirit. So both of them, Father and Son, send the Holy Spirit. Again, not as locomotion from one place to another, but rather the Holy Spirit has a new way of existing. That is, he exists in us by his power. And so our Lord, before he ascends, into heaven, sends out his disciples to teach the whole truth. Beginning with baptism, go out 
Preach to the nations, teaching them all I have told you. Baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The fact that he said the name indicates there is one God. Because if there were more than one, he would have said the names, because they're different. But in the name indicates the unity of the nature. And then he goes on to express the plurality of persons in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Plurality of persons. In the beginning of Mass, and in fact it comes from the letter of St. Paul to the Corinthians, second letter to the Corinthians, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Again, Trinitarian formula. And when we read the New Testament, letters of St. John, letter of Peter, it comes up again and again. And we can ask, what use is this knowledge to us? Does it make a difference to us? And the answer must be yes. Yes, simply because God has revealed it. God would not give us knowledge that is not necessary for our salvation. We are living in very dangerous times. We are living in evil times. There is no doubt that Satan is abroad and he's taken everything before him. How does he do it? By corrupting our knowledge. That's how it begins. When we are no longer certain of the truth, or more accurately, when we dismiss the truth as irrelevant, it doesn't matter what you believe. It's what you feel that's important. And all of us like to feel good, don't we? We don't want to feel depressed or troubled. We don't want affliction. We want to feel good. And so Satan makes us feel good. The Christian life is not about feeling good. What did we hear in the second reading? But that is not all we can boast about. We can boast about our sufferings. These sufferings bring patience, as we know. And patience brings perseverance, and perseverance brings hope. And this hope is not deceptive, because the love of God has been poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit, which has been given us. We cannot have the consolation of the Spirit if we do not go through the cross, if we do not have sufferings. And so Satan tells us, no, move away from the cross. Enjoy life, take it easy. God is merciful. God is good. God doesn't punish us as some people say he does. There is no hell, you don't have to worry about it. God is merciful, that is true. 
but God is also just. The scriptures say God is not mocked. As you have a, as you have a coin with two faces, so we can look at God's mercy and justice as two sides of the coin. To obtain God's mercy, we have to be repentant. If we are not sorry for our sins, how can we ask God to have mercy on us? When a criminal enters into the court and is found guilty, the sentence he receives depends on the law. The judge has a discretion whether he will give the minimum or the maximum or in between. If the criminal seems to be repentant, very sorry, the judge tends to be lenient. But if the criminal is arrogant, hardened, and doesn't look as if he has any sorrow, and worse, as if he'll do it again, doesn't the judge give the maximum? We are reflections of God's justice. But more, more, and far more important is this. Because we have an increasing false concept of who God is, of his attributes, his mercy, his justice, his power, and so on, we are not afraid of him. But doesn't scripture say the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom? We're not afraid of God. And because we're not afraid of God, we don't care about his law. Now, if we don't care about his law, we don't keep the law. And human law, for the most part, is built on divine law. Thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not steal, etc. It's all built on divine law. But if you do not accept God's law, it means you do not expect God to punish you. And so we start to attack human law, or rather, we start to disobey human law. And the solution, of course, is to have more and more police, theoretically. But that doesn't work. Because we now live in a society of anarchy, when we can have rape in broad daylight in a public place. And nobody notices. We live in a society of anarchy where incest is accepted, tolerated as the norm. We live in an anarchy where honesty is regarded as foolishness. Dishonesty is rampant. As for the truth, we are constantly being lied to and we foolishly believe it because we are not thinking. We don't have the spirit of truth in our hearts 
because we have no love for truth. Truth makes us feel uncomfortable and we want to feel good. So difficult truths we get rid of, ignore them. And we comfort ourselves, in my view, foolishly. God is merciful and God is kind and God is good. Yes, he is. But God is also just and God is never mocked. We celebrate the Feast of the Blessed Trinity, a God of love who created us out of love for love, who created us for himself. And until our hearts find rest in him, we will have no peace. The peace of Christ must begin with each and every one of us. And it must begin with our, each one of us individually, accepting the sufferings that God has sent us, knowing that through them we are being purged, we are being purified, we are being perfect. The sufferings patiently born bring perseverance. So we do not waver, we remain consistent and firm, deliberately walking the paths, the narrow road that leads to God. Perseverance brings hope because we know God is just and if he's just he will not let our hope be deceived. And hope is not deceptive because God is true and more important because the love of God has been poured into our hearts in baptism by the Holy Spirit. And it is in this and this alone, our hope should be. Let us then give thanks to the most holy trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, who created us out of love, who redeemed us out of mercy, and who is sanctifying us so that we might have life and have it abundantly. To whom honor and glory and blessings be forever and ever. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.